East Meds West. This podcast explores Eastern and Western philosophies of medicine and life, where they collide or collaborate. Introducing your host, Dr. Carolyn Edelston. Welcome to East Meds West, our first podcast, first episode, and Carl and I are sitting in a beautiful garden in Nottinghamshire with the sunshine and we thought we'd make the most of this great weather and actually start recording outside so you'll hear all sorts of peculiar sounds and I want to introduce first of all the reason why I wanted to do this podcast which is I wanted something to feel easy and light Um, so I work usually behind a closed consulting room door in a clinic And although I laugh a lot, uh, some of the subject matter is a little bit heavy um, with illness and various complaints. So I thought, right, I've had a bit of time in lockdown to think about something new. So I wanted to bring the concepts of certain philosophies that I work with in my unique position. And I'll talk about that a bit more in a minute and bring them out to talk to a wider audience about how these concepts Uh, can be used in life and perhaps challenge everybody to think a little bit differently about life um, which is never a bad thing I think we can all get a bit stuck in our ways and a bit fixed and a bit boxed in life Um, and certainly this way of sitting between two worlds so I started life as a GP was a GP for 25 years and then for the last 20 or so years I've also been a traditional acupuncturist and that's my full-time work now. So I sit between these two worlds and I think it's allowed me to look at life in quite a different way, both medicine, our health, but also just encouraging ways to make life a little bit easier for people. So in that early introduction, you heard Carl, who's co-hosting with me this podcast series. And I want to introduce Carl because I met him several years ago because he interviewed me at the time you were a BBC Radio Leicester presenter, Carl. I was. Uh, So I just want to bring you in really well th- no thank you for involving me in this you know and it, it, it just before we go any further I, it's really lovely for me to to sit outside to record this because I think we're going to touch on some of those themes about you know being connected with nature and the and the, the world around us so I think it's really appropriate that we're sitting outside and we can really hear the birds in the background as we're recording this I remember all those years ago um the reason I was very passionate about having you on my radio program was because I believed that these two things that you combine were mutually exclusive and could not exist uh, in, in one mind. This, this idea that you have um, uh, Western medicine, you trot off to the GP, and yet, then you have things like acupuncture and traditional Chinese uh, therapies. And I was fascinated by it. I came to see you. We did an interview on the radio, and I, I am still fascinated, and this is what, what I want to explore first, of how you bring together and how you reconcile these two very diametrically opposed worlds. Are you not now sort of left behind all the, the GP part of your, yourself, or is that still a very important thing to you? I don't think it'll ever be left behind. I think it is an important part of me, and I think it's it's taken a number of years to sit really comfortably between the two. I think I did fight it for a while. So I went into medicine in 1986. That was my first year of training. 
And I had, I wasn't the greatest student, I struggled. So it wasn't until I got onto the wards and actually saw people that it came alive to me. And my, my passion back then, even as a young child, was a fascination with people. And what fascinated me was what was behind the person, not the words they spoke, although I was interested in stories, the, the stories people told about themselves. But I was interested in, I could spot these people that were really thriving and living fully and loving life and then these people that were sort of the opposite, not thriving, talking about illness a lot, becoming their illness, and that fascinated me. So, so it took me, I think I sat in with a female GP, I was sort of looking at what I wanted to do in life, sat in with a teacher, a physio, a nurse. And back then you could do that, of course it's more difficult now, isn't it? And she just blew me away. She had a, a, a file of a patient's notes that was really thick. He'd obviously been coming for years and she told me everything about him, his family, the social dynamics. Um, and I just thought, wow, she hasn't even opened that file and she knows so much about this person. I just went home, I said, I've got to do this. So I had the right, I went in with my eyes wide open. I had the right um, interest, but I had tons of questions that were never ever asked, answered. And what I felt was that it was brilliant. You know, we can't deny Western medicine is brilliant for life and death. We, we live longer because of it. Um, you know, without antibiotics, most of us would be dead, me included. Um, so, you know, it's brilliant. And it's very sort of systemized and scientific and precise and box-like. And I wanted to know, but there are loads of people that don't fit into that textbook box system. What about that? And those were the questions that frustrated me that weren't, I was just annoying, I think, after a while. So, but, but it was okay, you know, general practice, I felt was, a, I, I had some inspiring older GPs that taught me, that talked about the art of general practice. You're a detective, I loved that. You know, you've got 10 minutes to solve, solve the crime. What's wrong, you've got 10 minutes. You're picking up clues from different places. You're a gatekeeper. So you have to, you're a jack of all trades, you know, you have to know a little bit about a lot. I love that. Um, and, and you also have to get comfortable with not knowing. So you think when you go to the GP, they'll know what's wrong and often they don't. I wish they'd all admit it a little bit more, but often we don't know. Mm. So there's all sorts of skills you acquire. And I think the, the greatest thing for me was this witnessing thousands and thousands of stories and people I would never meet at the pub or going for a walk. So I've had this sort of um, ongoing um, inquiry and observation and witnessing of thousands of people when I think about it over the years. So I was reasonably happy, you know, I was, I was in Exeter in my late 20s having done general practice for a few years and I could see life going down that, you know, 2.4 kids, the Labrador, the four-wheel drive and I thought, oh, this is just not me. Too, too too comfortable, too predictable. You know, there was a bit of a free spirit, it still is a bit of a free spirit in me that needs to spread her wings. So I, I turned over the back of a journal, which obviously I don't think I'd read, but I looked at the back page and I saw an advert for a job in New Zealand and I thought, perfect, I'll just run away for a bit. This was a, 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 like a general it practice like job, a, was it? Over there, you, all the GPs handed over to like a mini A&E at five o'clock. So it would be all shift work. Um, and I thought it would be a bit different. So I went, I knew nobody, went with a little case, um, had a job but nowhere to live. So I ended up renting with um, Kiwis. I didn't want to rent with Brits that have gone over and I wanted to start again, no medical life, just have a different experience. 
And that ended up being my self-exploratory six years, actually. So I began, when you take away everything you know, including friends, family, you're, you're stripped bare in a way, you're starting again with no, I didn't have any um, crutches. So I started to really, really look at health, my health, more emotionally, I'd say, but physically as well. So it was a beautiful environment. Everybody lives and is quite active outside, really connected with the outside world. So I started to to live quite differently and quite simply. I was in a tiny cottage on the top of a hill looking out to sea. Which part um, of New Zealand was this? This was in Governors Bay near Christchurch. So I came back, you know, a couple of years before that huge earthquake quicks, um, hit. So I feel quite lucky, really. So it was a beautiful part of the world. And it was then, I don't know whether it still is, like stepping back 10 years. Mm. Um, so while I was there, I was... I'd picked up a flyer, I was, because I was doing shift work, I was in a cafe in the day, picked up a flyer that said, an introduction to traditional Chinese medicine and Chinese philosophy. And I thought, I've got time on my hands, why not? And I went along, and this wonderful woman, who I'm still very good friends with, was setting up an um, acupuncture college. And she talked about these concepts, the philosophies that underpin Chinese medicine and light bulbs went on for me. So, so there was a connection there. You felt yes, this connection. because she was describing symptoms that connected, that I could see as a GP. I'll give you an example, and it'll make no sense now, but when people get as asthma attacks, they're often very tearful and sad, and it's not about not being able to breathe. That's usually terror when you can't breathe, but they always talk about this sadness. And in Chinese medicine, there's this link between the lungs and emotions, every organ has an emotion linked to it. So I just, this was just a little, oh, that's interesting. Or when babies teeth, they often have sloppy poos in their nappies. Sorry, a revolting thing to talk about, but their nappies change. And again, there's a, there's a link between these two organ systems. So I just, there, were, there was intrigue there and I couldn't let it go because it was beginning to answer the questions that I'd observed over the years. So there's this separate bit of Western medicine will not acknowledge some connections that Chinese medicine makes, but there's this bit where they do come together. And to be clear, you know, if people are listening to this thinking, uh, you know, Carolyn's suggesting that we all need to be on board with traditional Chinese medicine because it has so many answers. There are times when it, it, it simply is, is not an answer and, and you've been in situations like that. I mean, you, you, you had sepsis, didn't you? Yes. So I would, I would never say to somebody that my role as a traditional acupuncturist is an emergency physician where I'm on call and I can mm. treat you if you've injured your leg or you've got severe cancer or sepsis. Western medicine is at its best for these emergency situations. And actually, what's interesting now is even though I'm not practicing medicine, Western medicine, I'm still using my intuition. And I will say to people, you need to get that mole checked. You know, you need to, if you're having that pain in your chest, you don't want an acupuncturist, you need to go and have an ECG. So it's not about saying one's better than the other. What I like is looking at both and kind of the best of both worlds. And I think that's what Western medicine is beginning to do. I mean, look at the, the long COVID cases. Western medicine really doesn't have a lot to offer at the minute. Chinese medicine may well do. We're used to sort of treating those sorts of conditions. The past 12 months have been so difficult, haven't they, with coronavirus. I'm really keen to hear some of your thoughts about the COVID-19 pandemic. 
It's interesting. A couple of my colleagues and I had been talking for about six months before it hit that we were expecting something to get us as, as a human race. I mean, that sounds a bit dramatic, but I was fully expecting, and I thought it would be a virus, because I think viruses are sneaky. They're not clever. They don't have a consciousness. They're not clever, but they're very good at evolving and hiding from our immune systems and mutating. They always have been. So, you know, we talk about coronavirus. We've had a lot of pandemics. Well, not lots, but we've had some big pandemics. You know, the Spanish flu is actually still around. We live with it, but it's still around. That wiped out millions and millions of people. Um, you know, so I think we're shocked because we assume this kind of thing shouldn't happen to us. And I think it's quite arrogant. I think as human beings, we've become very arrogant about being at the top of the pecking order. And actually, you know, one of the things I'll talk about, which I do love about the more traditional Eastern philosophies, is they honour our connection with the natural world. And I think what we've done is become weaker at some levels. So I think technologically we're much stronger. Physically, we're living longer, but I don't sense that we're living great quality of life after a certain age. Certainly a lot of people aren't. And I think our immune systems undoubtedly are weaker. Hence, I think we're seeing more cancers, more autoimmune disease, more chronic diseases. And I think that's partly because we push way too hard in our lifestyles. We overwork, we over push our bodies. Even if we eat healthily, the soil isn't that great anymore. So even if we're, we're you know, looking at the organic seasonal vegetables unless we know what's in the soil it's not necessarily got the right nutrients and minerals so I think the odds are stacked against us and I think the this has really shattered us hasn't it all mm. because we feel um, invaded we are we have been invaded um, all of us personally have been hit even if it's not in, within our family or ourselves. Everybody has been hit by this. Do you have a theory as to why some people are more affected by coronavirus th than others? In Chinese medical terms and other complementary therapies is we talk about constitution. You know, we all know people that are born with this fantastically large fuel tank of stuff where they can eat rubbish, drink loads, not exercise, and they, they're still going at 95 and fantastic and smoke 20 a day. Other people green juice, meditate and die at 20. So we seem to have this sort of package that we're born with and some people can get away with more than others. So the Chinese would talk about certain organ systems that you can pick up that are weaker, that need nourishing in certain ways, either with lifestyle, diet, certain exercises. So obviously COVID attacks the lungs. That's the, the uh, lots of other organ systems as well, but initially the lungs. So if you're born, perhaps you have more childhood illnesses to do with lungs or um, asthma, um, lung problems, skin problems, those sort of things, or very easily tired and fatigued, you would, you would be at more risk, generally, mm. something like COVID. Have you had uh, people approaching you, uh, you know, in your capacity as, uh, as an acupuncturist, saying, look, I, I think I'm living with long COVID. I'm, I, I know I've had it. I was very poorly. I still don't feel well. Yeah. Is there anything you can do to help me? Is there any advice you can give me? Yeah, we have because, um, so I went on to the NHS website to see what advice they were giving and it was fairly limited to be honest. There is, I know there's some research, a lot of research going on. Um, the, the long COVID symptoms are similar to ME, chronic fatigue type symptoms. They have some more specific things as well. And we're used to dealing with 
chronic fatigue, ME, post-viral syndrome. So people are realizing they can come to us. And there's a, um, a model called a lingering pathogen in Chinese medicine. So this, this virus has not completely gone from the body. So the immune system is constantly fighting at a low grade, hence the fatigue. So there's a lot of energy going into just sort of keeping this virus at bay. Um, that's just one theory. So there are, with acupuncture, um, some dietary advice, very gentle rehabilitation, but acupuncture does seem to, you know, have a good success with getting people slowly rehabilitated. But it, we are treating it like a sort of chronic fatigue type illness. So we're almost at the end of this first podcast. What do some of those GPs you used to work with think to the way you've taken your life? I think... If I'm honest, I think they think uh, that I'm a little bit peculiar. Um, I think they're intrigued. So I do get referrals from local GPs now, which is great. And I've even treated some doctors and vets and people who are very, very skeptical. And the advantage of me is because I've got my Western background, I bring people through the door that would never, ever try acupuncture, Chinese medicine. And I'm a skeptic. So I still ask questions, wonder how it works. So I think that's, that's healthy. Let's just finish with um, uh, uh, maybe just one acupuncture fact, if we can, because yeah. this genuinely does fascinate me. How many pressure points are there on the human body? There's over 400 points that you could use for acupuncture on the human body. So let's talk about episode two. This is where we really start to dig into the ancient philosophy of Taoism that underpins the whole of Chinese medicine. What's all that about? Yin-yang. We also go right back to the origins of medicine itself and where most of the world was talking in the same language about medicine. And when did these separate? And do they come back together? I really do value your feedback, your questions... It would be great to build a community that are really interested in these conversations. Thank you so much for listening. It's an absolute pleasure for me to bring out these conversations that I've had quietly with other people and to share these concepts, philosophies. So we look forward to seeing you in episode two. You've been listening to East Meds West. Subscribe to be notified about future episodes. We'd love to hear from you. Submit comments and questions via Twitter at Cycles of Change or email chat at drcarolynedelston.com. Cycles of Change.